You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So, how was your Valentine's Day? Did you take my advice? Did you knock off on the fucking chocolate, the booze, the food, the coma that prevents you from banging the fuck out of each other when you get home that then leads to a relationship crisis because it was Valentine's Day and you had a big romantic meal with a lot of narcotic fucking wine and then you didn't fuck because you didn't take my advice. But I hope you did take my advice and you got fucked on Valentine's Day if you have a partner. If you don't have a partner, I hope you went out and fucked somebody randomly on Valentine's Day. My Valentine's Day? I don't do Valentine's Day. My boyfriend and I, we're not that romantic in that sort of traditional Valentine's Day-esque sense. But, you know, and I would tell you exactly what we did on Valentine's Day, but I'm not allowed to discuss the particulars of our interactions in the Valentine's Day or bedroom or assignation department on pain of divorce and disgrace and dismemberment. So we're just going to get to your calls. I'm going to leave it there. There's something I do want to tell you about what we did on Valentine's Day, but I'm just not going to go there because my asshole boyfriend has begun listening to the podcast. And that's right. I called you an asshole boyfriend because you didn't tell me he was listening to the podcast. There have been a few where I talked about him and now I'm in trouble. Asshole boyfriend. Happy Valentine's Day. Let's get to your calls. Hi, Dan Savage. I'm 33. I'm pretty sexually open, fluid, I would say. Um, I'm in love with a woman. She is awesome. She brings a lot to my life. This past summer, I realized why many of my past relationships haven't worked because I am, uh, I guess, polyamorous. I, I think that it's really normal and okay to love more than one person at the same time and um, and that that's possible. Um, she wasn't very excited to hear about that part of my life and struggled and asked a lot of the, I think, maybe classic questions. Why am I not enough for you? Why can't you just have friends? Uh, why do you have to have sex with other people? Uh, uh, stuff like that. And it's really hard because I don't want to hurt this person. I want her around for the rest of my life. And yet I feel like this uh, uh, being uh, polyamorous is, is something I'm born with. It's a, it's a way in which I, the way that I function. Um, we're, we're sort of struggling with this. There's ways in which we've talked about things a whole lot and certain situations in which having an open relationship kind of works for her. She's okay with um, more okay with me seeing guys and more okay with, you know, maybe somebody that she meets and and we we all kind of get along. So there's certain windows, but there's a lot of kind of fear and a lot of not understanding uh, kind of between both of us. And I feel a little bit trapped uh, in the way that I, I want to express my life this way and yet I don't want to lose this wonderful person. So... Do you have any ideas, any suggestions? How do we go through uh, these growing pains of this type of lifestyle and, and, and make it work? 
oh my god, I totally want to help, but I can't start helping you until you start shutting up. All right, you sound like you're in a lot of pain, and that's too bad. I am too now at the end of this call. I was kind of losing my mind. Just wanted to jump in there and couldn't jump in there. Uh, you love her, and she loves you. And I don't think you're at an impasse completely, really. I don't think you need to say, ah, irreconcilable differences and walk away. I do think it sounds like, based on the way you describe her, that she's perhaps open to a degree of openness a little bit down the road. What I would recommend is that you guys commit to each other and commit to a period of exclusivity where you're not going to act on the poly thing. You've acknowledged that you are polyamorous. You know, her question, why am I not enough for you? The response to that is not because X, Y, and Z. You don't tick off the areas in which she's not enough for you. You say no two people can be all things to each other emotionally and sexually. And that's just a fact. And there are ways in which there are things that you don't you won't be able to provide me and I won't be able to provide you. And you have two choices, which is to pay the price of admission to say these are the, the these things aren't going to be a part of my life because they're not a part of my relationship and I'm in a monogamous relationship and I'm willing to make that sacrifice because I love her so much. Or you give each other a certain amount of license to get those needs met elsewhere in a healthy, functional, honest, mutually agreeable fashion. But to get there, I really think you need to establish some base of trust, particularly if she has, if she's still wrapping her mind around poly or a degree of openness. And the only way to do that is to prove to her that you could go for option A, which is paying the price of admission and going without whatever it is that she doesn't bring to the table forever because you love her that much. Prove to her that you're capable of being monogamous, of putting her first, and she may relax into a degree of openness or be more willing to make really the sacrifice for you that you've kind of made for her. Like take a walk on her mild side for a while and maybe she'll be willing to take a walk on your wild side. But you need to build that trust, build your rapport, establish your sexual bond and your emotional bond and then see in a year or two or three if the relationship can open up in a way that allows you to be the little poly flower that you are. Hey, Dan. I have a young daughter, 17, who's just become sexually active. And I'm a frequent listener to your show. I'm very open with her. And I've heard your patented, there's other things that are still sex talk a lot. I'd love it if you could just give me I spiel about that that I could play back for her because she doesn't listen to me about this stuff. She hears me. She listens to me. She's a very loving child, but she doesn't listen to me. If that makes any sense, it's like she gives me a nod and a pat on the back, and I can see in her face that she's just thinking, Dad, stop being a retard or leotard. And I think if she hears it from someone else, especially someone who delivers it with the panache that you do, I think that she'd really really get the picture. And plus, it would make me laugh for her to hear me call in and have you respond and give her advice. First, I'll address your daughter. Young lady, put down that cock. And cocked eyebrow is just an expression. Take that off your face right now, young lady. Um, You know that face she makes when you talk to her and you try to be serious or give her some advice about sex or shape her 
worldview about sex, that that face where she's looking at you like you're leotarded. She's listening. She has to make that face. All children have to make that face, particularly when their parents talk to them about sex. It doesn't mean she isn't listening. It doesn't mean she doesn't appreciate the effort. It doesn't mean that the things you say won't sink in and that she won't take dad's advice. She just has to look like dad's advice, when, particularly when it comes to sex, is the last thing she wants. And she's still going to at least give you a hearing, whatever the face she's making. Now, I'm not sure which lecture for young people who've just become sexually active you want. There is the, if you're having anal sex, you ain't a virgin anymore talk. Uh, and then there's the, you have options beyond vaginal intercourse uh, where you can be fully intimate. Uh, and then there's the birth control talk. And there's the disease talk. There's many talks. But I would, you know, if I had a 17-year-old daughter who was just becoming sexually active, this is what I would tell her. We're going to march your ass down to Planned Parenthood and make a donation and get you some goddamn effective birth control. And we're going to sit there and we're going to listen to the nice counselor lady walk you through your options. And then I would tell her this, despite the looks playing on her face, I would endure those slings and arrows and glares. Sex isn't just vaginal intercourse. Vaginal intercourse is, for your young daughter, perhaps the riskiest kind of sex because it carries the risk of pregnancy, which can really derail your young life. You can be fully intimate. Don't regard penetrative sex as the be-all and end-all, as, you know, I'm, an adult, I'm a sexually active adult now, so I must always get fucked in my twat and have come in my rolling down my legs. You can be sexually active and sexually expressive, and there are degrees of intimacy and gradations of risk, and I want you to enjoy your sex life. I want you to enjoy your sexual and erotic power. I want you to enjoy your boyfriend, but you need to use birth control. You need to not be a slut. And I'm not saying that to her as a girl in a sexist way. I, I will say the exact same thing to my son come the day. You need to not be a slut. You need to be choosy about your sexual partners because there's not just physical risk when you bring somebody into your bed and into your body. There's emotional risk when you let somebody in like that. And so when you're just getting to know someone sexually, you don't have to go right from making out and getting acquainted to getting fucked, that there are hand jobs and there are oral sex and there's frittage. There's all these things that you can do that are really pleasurable, that are adult sexual activities that is that allow you to be fully intimate and that reserves full-on penetrative vaginal intercourse for someone you're serious about, someone you know something about, someone you've gotten to know sexually already, and someone you trust inside you. And that should be a higher bar when you're going to trust somebody who's inside you. They're, you know, with uh, sex is powerful. Erotics are powerful. Our erotic inner lives are powerful. And as somebody said to Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And she has to be responsible to herself, responsible also to her family. I do think that your sexual life impacts your family, uh, particularly if you're a young person. If you're going to knock somebody up, that's really going to – at 17 or get knocked up at 17, your parents are really going to have to rush in and perhaps turn their lives upside down to help you through that. And so you need to be responsible to your partner, responsible to yourself, responsible to your family. You need to use birth control. You need to be choosy and wise about the people you're sleeping with. You need to go to your parents for advice about the people you're sleeping with. I know that that's – 
sounds horrible. But you don't have the bullshit detectors at 17 that your mother and your father may have in their 30s and 40s. You haven't been down this road. You haven't been lied to like they've been lied to. You may not see through the lies as quickly. I don't think your parents should have a veto power over the people that you date, but you need to hear them out and look at the people you date through their eyes. But most importantly, you need to use birth control and use it effectively and use it wisely and use it correctly because at 17, sexually active and a female, pregnancy is the disaster that you want to avoid. And beyond pregnancy, there's also sexually transmitted infections to worry about. One of the prices of admission for being a sexually active adult is there are certain sexually transmitted infections that you will probably contract, like the human virus or HPV. Uh, There is a vaccine available. I hope you were vaccinated when it became available before you were sexually active. If not, you're probably going to have to just get it like so many other people and then monitor your health and get your checkups. And even if you're using an IUD, even if you're on the pill, I do think that you should use condoms for the disease protection that they afford. They're not going to protect you from everything. Skin-to-skin contact can can transmit certain sexually transmitted infections like herpes, like chlamydia, but it will protect you, offer a great deal of protection from scary shit like syphilis, gonorrhea, HIV, and lower your risk for other things like chlamydia and HPV. These are things to consider, things to think about. This is why you need to move wisely into your sexually active years. But also you need to know that one of the things you're doing when you become sexually active is saying, I will shoulder these risks. I will take these risks on. And sex is worth it. I'm not, tell- I'm not trying to be scary and say you shouldn't have sex. Sex is worth the risk. Snowboarding is worth the risk of the broken leg. Sex is worth the risk of the sexually transmitted infection. But it is a risk. And sexually transmitted infections are insanely common among particularly American teenagers because our sex ed is so bad and our access to healthcare is so insufficient and our country is run and has been run by such batshit crazy religious lunatics for so long that all your lives are really on the line and endangered. So be choosy about your sex partners. Use protection. Use birth control. Listen to your dad and stop making that fucking face. Hi, Dan. This is Emma. And I'm calling you because I have kind of a bizarre biological question. So I went on the Nuva Ring about two weeks ago and um, started for the first time having sex without a condom with my boyfriend. And afterwards, we have both been experiencing this really intense chemical burn. And actually, okay, I guess it wasn't the first time we had sex without a condom, but it was the first time he'd ever come without a condom. And before, there was no chemical burn, um, and now there's this bizarre... Both of us have this, like, bizarre stinging in our genitals. And I was wondering if you'd ever heard of anything like that. I know the Nuva Ring isn't Wi-Fi enabled, so you can't Google it from your Nuva Ring, but you can actually Google it from Google. And the possible side effects of the Nuva Ring include vaginal infections and irritation, genital irritation, and presumably... Uh, he could get irritated too. You are trying a new form of birth control. You're not having great results. A lot of people have to try different kinds of birth control, particularly hormonal birth controls. You know, they find the one that works for their particular balance of hormones and susceptibility to certain side effects. So I would encourage you to go back to your doctor who prescribed you the Nuva Ring and say, get this the fuck out of me. It ain't working. I'm having those side effects. We got to try something else. Perhaps Apple's iPad 
which sounds like you're supposed to put it in your vagina, and it is Wi-Fi enabled. My problem is has to do not so much with my girlfriend as it does with my apartment. Um, moved into this older apartment building about six months ago, and um, well, I'm realizing the walls are paper thin, and um, one of our neighbors with an adjacent wall uh, has been complaining uh, to our neighbors about hearing my, myself and my girlfriend having sex. Uh, bangs on the wall during sex. Uh, he, you know, gossips about us, and he's probably on the verge of telling our landlord. So, I mean, embarrassment was kind of a original factor, but uh, it wasn't more for my girlfriend, but now it's to the point where she kind of doesn't really give a shit about this guy and his opinion. Um, but my, my question, some of my question is, what is kind of the right thing to do here? I mean, We've tried quieting down. I guess his walls are paper thin, so you can you can you can hear a TV in his apartment. Us having sex in our apartment doesn't take a lot of sound, and uh, we've uh, even um, you know tried to to do the hours. What we think he might not be there, but it, obviously it kind of takes a lot out of the relationship. The obvious answer is to move, but we still have six months left on our lease, and I just don't know what to do about this guy. He uh, really just seems to be have it out for us and wants to wreck our sex lives. So any advice you have on how to deal with a pesky neighbor would be greatly appreciated. All you need to do is say to your neighbor, look, we're trying to be considerate. We're trying to be quieter. We're trying to fuck when you're not around, when we don't hear the TV. But it's our apartment and we're going to fuck in it. And the walls are thin and that's not our fault. If you require complete silence at all time in your fortress of solitude, you need to move. It's your apartment. You can fuck in it. He can go complain to your landlord. And I don't think your landlord is going to do anything about it. Just endure him. And if it really gets under your skin, then you should move in six months. Or maybe it'll get so far under his skin that he'll fucking move. But there's really no magic words you can say here that'll make it all go away. In your shoes, having made the accommodations that you guys have already made and him continuing the asshole campaign, I would start fucking as loudly as possible, as often as possible. I would make tape recordings of us fucking and leave them playing in the apartment when we were away for the weekend so that he wouldn't miss me while we were gone. Hi, Dan. I'm a 19-year-old straight female. I haven't been sexually active long. Um, in fact, it seems like my sex life runs in twos. I've been having sex for two years now and only with two boys. <laughs> I have a healthy sexual appetite. Um, I usually masturbate at least once a day. Yeah, with both the boys I've slept with, I've never orgasmed. I enjoy sex and all that fun foreplay business, but whenever I get close to orgasming, there's a block. Uh, my clitoris gets extremely sensitive and painful, and I usually make the boy stop whatever he's doing down there. What is this? Am I concentrating too hard on the outcome of sexual acts or are orgasms just that hard to attain? You say you masturbate every day and I'm going to assume that you masturbate with some success. Otherwise, you wouldn't be masturbating or you'd be asking me why you can't come even when you masturbate. So you're doing something right when you're touching yourself that either 
the boys are doing wrong or the intensity of the situation is kind of heightening your arousal level to this point where it's kind of uncomfortable for you, where you become too aroused and your clit becomes too sensitive. I would encourage you to masturbate when you're with these boys, to touch yourself, relegate them, whatever it is that they're doing that's too intense, to you know a, a supporting role that you're going to make out with them. They're going to play with your tits. They're going to eat your butt, whatever it is, while you touch yourself and bring yourself to orgasm in his company or in their company to show yourself, to prove to yourself that you can come with somebody else in the room, with somebody else touching, with somebody else's assistance. And maybe that'll help you, you know, gain the confidence in your own body's capacity to respond when you're not alone. But also it'll help them see what works for you. You know, you're young. A lot of young women, when they first become sexually active, aren't as assertive as they could be about the way their bodies work and what works for them. And if you're letting these boys kind of fly blind or do what they think should get you off and it's obviously not working, you need to redirect them. And letting them watch what does work is one way to do that. Now, maybe they're doing everything right. and Maybe you are sexually assertive and you're instructing them on just how you want to be touched and it's still too intense. Well, then you just need to back off a little bit for now. Have them do, again, a supporting player kind of role and masturbate yourself and have orgasms with them. Um, now, you may, like a lot of women and legitimately so, place a high value on having an orgasm while you're being vaginally penetrated. I'm all for orgasms during vaginal penetration. <laughs> um, I've never actually seen one, uh, even when I was having sex with women, but – what you need to do then, a good approach, a good sort of like training wheels approach is get him aroused, get him excited, get him inside you, get on top, and then he shouldn't move. If he's another 19-year-old, his dick will stay plenty hard, all right? And just have him inside you and then touch yourself, masturbate the way you masturbate when you're alone with him inside you. So then you can start bridging the gaps between you know, these baby steps between what you've been doing and what works with you alone and somebody else being involved, being present and being inside you while you're also still experiencing the sensations and pleasures that you can successfully give yourself. And then you'll build toward fully incorporating, you know, your orgasmic capacity. You are orgasmic into your sexual encounters with your partners. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 24-year-old female, straight female, or bi. I don't really know. Um, I'm also a recovering drug addict, and I have over three and a half years sober. And... um I'm in a really amazing relationship for once, a really healthy relationship. Um, my boyfriend is 45 years old, so he's quite a bit older than I am, but uh, it hasn't been an issue at all. He's also sober over seven years, and uh, we have a really good, healthy relationship. We've been together for over three years. Um, and sexually, our chemistry is totally there. Like, when we are, you know, when we have a good night, like, the sex is incredible, and um, it's amazing sometimes. But it's kind of, you know, we've been together, we've lived together for two years now, and it can get a little routine and, like, a little vanilla, as people would say. Um, and I don't know how to broach the topic of, you know, changing it or getting kinky or trying new things. I, I mean, I've had kinky sex in the past, but I've always been under the influence, like out of my mind, high and drunk. And, you know, I was able to initiate those things because I was so fucked up. Um, 
but also because of those experiences, I've had really horrible um, situations where I was taken advantage of because I was drunk and high. And um, so I think I've kind of settled with this vanilla sex for a while because it feels safe. And, you know, um, I still have some shame over the things that I did when I was drunk and high. Um, I am part of a 12-step program. I'm working on all these issues. And I feel like I'm emotionally ready to try different things. Um, my issue is just I don't know where to get the courage to, like, bring up this topic with my boyfriend. I mean, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, I mean, do, do you bring it up when you're naked in bed or clothed over a cup of coffee? Um, you know, how can I change our, you know, sexual relationship to where, you know, to spice it up? And how do I get, you know, can you, you know, give me any advice on how to get over, um, you know, some of the guilt and shame of things I did before and, you know, how to have a fresh start with my boyfriend. So I got you on the phone, but you're at work and so you can't really talk at length about your problem. So I'm only going to ask you yes and no questions. All right. Okay. When you were drunk and high, did you ever get on a bus? Yes. Did you, when you were drunk and high, did you ever go to the movies? Yes. When you were drunk and high, did you ever take a shit? <laughs> yes. When you were drunk and high, did you ever eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yes. Did you ever go hiking? Did you ever go for a bike ride when you were drunk and high? Yes, yes, yes. And do you still do all those things? Yes. You can have kinky sex, clean and sober, just like you do all those things now clean and sober. You were drunk and high and kinky, now you're clean and sober and kinky. And you are associating... You know, you did some things because, you know, the alcohol and the, the drugs disinhibited you. You did you gave yourself permission to do something sexually using the drugs and alcohol as an excuse and a crutch, right? Right. To go do what you wanted to do, and then because your judgment was impaired, in addition to your inhibitions being lowered, you got into some ugly situations. Right. Which is the fault of the drugs and the alcohol, not the kink. Right. Because you that got makes it, sense. Right? So what you need yeah. to do is just say to the boyfriend... You know, I love you, the sex is great, the vanilla sex is great, and now I think, I, you know, I love you and trust you so much, I want to start doing some of these crazy things I used to do with people that I didn't love and didn't trust, and I got hurt because I know with you it'll be loving, and I can trust you, and I won't get hurt, however crazy kinky and off the hook we get now that we fucking spice it up. You just have to present it to him in a way where you're not saying there's anything inadequate about the sex you're having now. You just want right. to build an addition to your big sex house. That's the king okay. wing. I've got metaphors out my ass for you today, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> don't, you know, don't you? You've earned it. You 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 straightened your life out. You found the right partner. You're clean and sober for all these years now. Don't let your past rob you of the sex life you could have in your present. A clean and sober, fun, kinky, off-the-hook sex life is something that you've earned and you deserve, and he deserves from you. Right. And I think he he wants it, too. I just, it seems like we're both dancing around the issue. Well, just throw it out there. You know what? Play him the goddamn podcast. You and me talking, and then talk. It's a cliche of the advice column and now podcast industry. You said, just show him the letter in the column. You, you, you spoke to it very well, and you're very complimentary about him. And then take, take baby steps, because you may, you know, there may be some things that when you start to do them, you realize that it's a little like pushing some buttons or it feels a little traumatic or whatever. And just like, go right. slow, go slow. Just take your time. Right. But don't deny yourself these pleasures because you associate them with drugs and alcohol in a way you don't associate anything else you were doing at those times with drugs and alcohol. Right.
That makes a lot of sense to me. Well, good luck. And I'm excited now. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Um, I was just calling, I was listening to episode 170 and wanted to respond to the guy who wanted to hit on a bartender or a waitress. And um, I am a bartender um, and get hit on relatively frequently. And I don't mind it, really. It, and I just wanted to put my two cents in. A lot of, I work with a lot of women, and whenever anyone reasonably hot comes in, we're like all wanting to go wait on that hot guy and, you know, um, actually see it as an opportunity to meet single men sometimes. But um, it, it is important that the if the, if it doesn't pan out, I've, I've actually given my email address to someone once or twice, and they just, it just didn't work out. There weren't no chemistry, and they never showed up again. And if a guy feels like he can't come in again, that's fine. But it's totally cool, I think, if they do come back and, you know, give – give me my space and we work together as customer and bartender professional and you know not there's no bad feelings I don't think anyone needs to be messed up about it and not be able to go back you know so that's my two cents thanks hi Dan um, I just heard the podcast where the girl was talking about only being attracted to older guys and having an awful experience in high school and all of that I'm a 17-year-old bi girl, and I hate high school. I hate everyone I've ever met in high school. It's just absolutely awful. But I met a guy that feels the same way, and I met a guy that's mentally older than he is physically and all of that, and I'm like I am. And I just wanted to tell this girl that there is hope in the world. There are other 17- and 18-year-old people that are mentally 35. You'll make it out fine. You'll find somebody like that, and it'll all be all happy and shiny. So just wanted to say that. Hi, Dan. I am an 18-year-old gay boy, and I'm calling in response to the girl who was considering coming out as an adult baby to her roommate with some additional advice. I am an adult baby myself and a college kid, and I know exactly what you're going through. I know what it's like to, having recently come to terms with my own fetish, to want to talk to someone and express yourself without the fear of invoking hostility from those around you. But I have to echo Dan's advice that you should not tell your roommate. I myself had the misfortune of having to explain the fetish to a friend of mine after he found some porn on my computer. And let me tell you, no matter how many times you've rehearsed this conversation in your mind, thought about what you might say if someone did find out, it's a million times more awkward in real life when you're sitting down and actually trying to explain it to someone. That being said, I do have advice for you on how you can express yourself uh, without having to do to fear that hostility. Um, the online ABDL community is fantastic. It's a great way to talk to people, arrange uh, meetups in groups or one-on-one, and uh, hang out in diapers and just have some fun. There's a website called Are You Padded? It's spelled letter R, letter U, P-A-D-D-E-D dot com. It's kind of like a MySpace or a Facebook for ABDLs. And um, it was how I met one of my best friends, who to this day I still hang out with regularly and uh, just chill out at his place in diapers and watch movies and things like that. And it's a great way to express yourself in a semi-open but still private environment without having to make others feel uncomfortable. Um, that being said, I do have to issue a slight caveat 
when it comes to any online interaction, especially because of your gender. Um, girl ABDLs aren't unheard of, but they are uncommon. And because the community is mostly composed of straight boys, uh, you are going to have your fair share of straight boys that are going to perv over you. So please don't be afraid to tell them to fuck off if they're making you uncomfortable, because that's how I was able to get through it. And um, I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, and lastly, I just wanted to say to you, Dan, I really liked the way you handled that call. Um, you handled it with utmost respect and consideration, and you answered the question appropriately, honestly, and frankly, which is something that we don't hear very often. I would expect most advice columnists to simply get hung up on the sheer goofiness of the fetish, and you didn't. So that just made me smile. Thank you. That was a really long uh, response, that last one, but we wanted to run it in its entirety because it was such great, compassionate, wise, informed advice, and from an 18-year-old, no less, which just goes to show that when it comes to the whole advice business that uh, the host of the show or the author of the column, me or anybody else, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes the best answers are out there. and they come from the readers and the listeners, not from the author or the blabber. Um, as for the sensitive way I handled the adult baby fetishist on the previous show and I didn't make fun, God, I totally want to accept your compliment and take all the credit for being so sensitive. But you know, when it comes to adult babies, you, know, you don't really have to make a joke. <laughs> it's just kind of funny as is. But you know what? Everybody's fetish is weird and funny. That's what – sex makes fools of us all, whether we're only into vanilla or we're into something crazy – we all look ridiculous in pursuit of it. We look ridiculous as we're doing it. And we feel ridiculous right after we're done. That's what's so sort of humanizing about sex. We all share this common burden and humiliation, really. And whoever's pointing a finger at somebody and making fun, you just look at them and you know that if you could see everything that they enjoy on video – that they would look ridiculous to, that they would be interested in doing things that were humiliating or embarrassing. And so we all have to have a little bit of compassion, but also maintain our sense of humor when it comes to our fetishes and other people's fetishes uh, and not be douchebags and assholes, but still be able to laugh at ourselves and still feel like if we can laugh at ourselves, that we do earn the right, you know, to laugh at others too. Not that I would laugh at an adult baby fetishist, but I would like to think I could laugh with an adult baby fetishist. Thanks very much for your call. 206-201-2720 is the number. We're going to leave it there. (laughs) This show is done and we are dropping it in our pants and we are sending it out to you. Once again, 206-201-2720 is the number. If you'd like to record a call for a future show or a response for a future show, give us a buzz. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the savage love letter of the day. And uh, me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week, another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.